Hello, hello, and a third hello. Welcome to Don't Forget Your Towel. I'm your host, but not GM, Azul, and today we carry on playing Shiver Gothic, a gothic horror RPG based on the Shiver system and universe. Imagine Dracula crossed with Edgar Allan Poe crossed with Alan Moore. That is Shiver Gothic. If that sounds interesting to you, go check the Kickstarter out. At this point, they're way past the 200% funded mark, so there's heaps of goodies and updates and treats being unlocked as well. Also, listeners, a few lightning quick announcements. Firstly, happy St. Patrick's Day to all, and to all a happy St. Patrick's Day. Drink, be merry, don't ever lose sight of that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, especially during these troubling times. Keep it in your soul! Your soul! We're also including some links in our description describing ways to help other than donating and organizations to donate to with regards to the Ukraine situation at the moment. So go check that out as well if you can. All that being said, let's carry on into the weird and horrifying world of Shiver Gothic. Previously on Don't Forget Your Towel. There's a strange fella's been in here the past couple of nights. He's um real tall, and naturally so. Wears a big black coat and a tricorn hat to match. I had a run-in with this man, I barely saw him, but if you want to avoid the worst of it, I'd steer well clear of Snidelip Lane. Well, amongst these lanes and right near Snidelip Lane, we saw a carriage with no horse rolling through the back streets of its own devilish accord. I believe that Mr. Tipple could definitely be of some use. And unless you, Mr. Muller, feel like being some bait, well, I think we have ourselves a volunteer, don't we? Seeing the person, I'm going to aim with my pistol. As the coat flies open, you see a very strange sight. It is actually three smaller beings of odd proportions standing on top of one another's shoulders just in front of the door of what you recognize as an old stables and you all manage to dive out of the way just in time as a carriage with no horse smashes through the door and drives down the lane and the last thing you see for a porthole Algernon Tipple banging help help a bank of fog rolls in and the carriage disappears out of sight I really thought they were going to be just misunderstood you know how do you tell what is really human you've all made your way to different corners of the city to collect your items, your weapons, preparing for what you think is potentially going to be quite a hairy final confrontation. And you find yourselves guided by Ava's realisation of where the people were going at the bridge that would lead over into the Condemned Isle to make your way to Spirehome University, or what remains of it, that is.
so you're, you're kind of getting into like early evening now so probably about like kind of 7 p.m i'd say so the skies are properly dark now so you're lit by the gas lamps around you yeah so i think i'm eyeing miss marble at the moment just waiting until we start moving or until perhaps katya and ava for some reason move away so that i can get her to myself for a few minutes yeah you, you see that miss marble in one of her hands has a very kind of heavy duty old looking storm lantern that she's carrying very much like a kind of elderly lighthouse keeper and she kind of turns to him and goes oh, well, well, well my dears are we uh, uh, ready to proceed to the university no time like the present <laughs> as we'll ever be yes wonderful wonderful and she'll look to catch her neighbor and being like well i've i've, I've i'll hold the umbrella and keep her shielded from the rain would, would one of you like a light it's going to be rather dark over there no one's been lighting the lamps in the academic district for quite some time and she holds out the storm lantern towards you both. Uh, would one of you like to take it? Yeah, I will take that lamp. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you, my dear. And she, and she hands you the storm lantern. So you'll get a minor advantage on wit checks when you're kind of searching with the storm lantern. You can give other people advantage if you're near them kind of looking for stuff. Excellent. Uh, well, if you'll be our, our light keeper, then um, uh, please, uh, Miss, Miss Kaminsky, lead the way. And she'll gesture with her umbrella towards the darkness of the condemned aisle. Oh, good. I go first. Wonderful. I'm sure you'll do fine. Don't worry, dear. We'll all be right behind you. Yes, don't worry. Ghosts are usually friendly. Well, that is good to hear, Katya. Thank you. All right, onwards and upwards. To this I add, and I hear if they do attack, it's from in front of you. What? The ghost. Yes? Don't worry, it's just a throwaway joke. Oh, okay. I chuckle to myself again. I think you need to work on your material, sir. I'm not quite sure you have a career as a stand-up comedian quite yet. You know, this may surprise you, but I seem to be getting that a lot recently. No, it doesn't. Ah, well, <laughs> bit, of, bit of a dismay. So, Ava Kaminsky, storm lantern in hand, you make your way over the arch of this bridge and onto the condemned aisle, where you begin weaving your way up the paths towards the university. Uh, as you're making your way there, you see the few houses that did remain on the aisle, burnt out, abandoned, and looking kind of suitably miserable as you make your way along this dark path. So I'm going to say that we've got Ava and Katya up front and uh, Miss Marble is following along as a kind of decent trot, um, kind of umbrella unfold in hand. So I think I'm going to try to slow down a bit and match the pace of Miss Marble. I'm, I'm hoping to kind of separate her from the others and I think... Is she is she relatively out of earshot from the others? Yeah, so if you're slowing down beside her and kind of doing that <coughs> kind of thing next to her, she'll kind of raise an eyebrow and kind of start walking a little bit slower. And she'll go, something the matter, Mr. Muller? This may come as a surprise to you, madam, especially given my proclivity towards death and its perpetuity, but I find life, although it may only be an accumulation of anguish and woe, dear to me, and I intend to defend it. It has been a pleasure, of course, spending this past evening with you and our companions up ahead, but there is ample reason for me to not divulge this, but I shall trust in your wisdom. I read in some old notes that the university had dealings with the creation of artificial life, homunculi, matters that some would consider blasphemous. Madam, 
We both know how Katya may react to an individual in distress. She has a good heart. Despite my desire to call it naivete, she is a good kid. However, I am not a good man. If it comes to it, I will not hesitate to put an end to life, as I will not hesitate to protect it. I'm hoping, if such a situation arises, that I can trust you to keep her safe. Her innocence does not belong in Spyhome, nor do I wish to take it. Hmm. She thinks for a moment, kind of spinning the umbrella idly above her. You asked me to be kind, and despite my best efforts, madam, here is my kindness. You have nothing to worry about, Mr. Muller. I'll make sure that no harm comes to the young Miss Novak. However, I would give you this one piece of advice. The cards are not yet all on the table, Mr. Muller, and once we have all the facts in front of us, I would say stay until then upon your decision about what to do about whether to be a good man or a bad one. Because I feel there's some good in you, deep, deep down somewhere. Some good. <laughs> I, I must admit, this is the first I've heard of such a goodness, but I owe you that much at the very least. Well, my husband used to say, we're all full of surprises. She gives you a nice smile. Wiser man than I thought he was. I thought all the wisdom came from you, madam. <laughs> and I will keep to my word as you are trying to be a very sweet boy. Here's a sweetie. <laughs> I, I take it in my hand and just stare at it for a moment before saying, I must admit, you are a marvel and a mystery at the very same time. How do you do it? Well, my dear, sometimes those who try to be that are the ones who fail the most. I just simply be. She twirls her umbrella and carries on into the rain. <laughs> <laughs> As I watch her walking ahead of me and joining the others, I just mumble under my breath, I think. Just be. Just be? Okay, then. Wonderful. So um, you both catch up uh, with the rest of the group. Mr. Muller looking considerably confused uh, um, and, <laughs> and, and considering so many of his life choices uh, now. <laughs> As you arrive at the once grand grounds of Sparhome University, which now lies in a soot-laden ruin. You see scorched stone, smashed windows and dust cover the remains of these cursed buildings. There's also a large amount of flyers of a great quantity that are pasted on the walls, layered on top of one another again and again, providing the buildings with a almost new peeling papery skin as the weather begins to sheave it off of its surface. Having a look at it, you see one of the frame posters where the text is still legible, and you see it reads, By command of Elder Marcus Khan, this institution is closed and condemned for the spread of heresy and ungodly works. Trespassers, thieves, and conspirators will be executed by Edict of the Divine Order. And as you look around and hold this kind of flyer in the hand, the wind whistles um, through this district. Its lonely whispers are the only ghostly sound you find in this abandoned and desolate place. So, you've kind of come through some gates and you've wound up to the centre of the university grounds. So where you find yourself now is the university quad, where there's a big statue kind of in the middle. And you've come from the north. To the south sits the ruins of University Hall, which is pretty much rubble. You look to the east, and you see there is the Raisley Academic Library. The building seems to be relatively intact, but the entrance seems to have had some form of a cave-in. And to the west, you see the Craddock Lecture Halls, which the door appears to have been removed, but 
it is unobstructed and is still accessible. So this phantom carriage that made the escape was the transport of choice for the kidnapper. And that is kind of what you've been tracking when you're coming through this area. So if you would like to look around this kind of desolate square of the quad to see where the carriage may have gone, you may. So that can be a smart check or a wit check, mm -hmm. please. Um, so does my light give me an advantage on wit? Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So is that an extra die or is that a, do I put a, a one underneath the diamond? So, so best way to do it in the shiver dice roller, it's a, it's one of the D6. So you can either add an extra one or just use luck to, to throw another dice into there. One of the, one of the potential things that um, hopefully may, may be unlocked through the Kickstarter is if we get enough funding, we'll be upgrading the dice roller with a Gothic mode. Wow. Cool as well as a load of quality of life updates because we can we can hire our programmer friend again to do a big old we can take all of our notes and implement them so so yes nice. very cool donate to the kickstarter guys for that <laughs> yeah and can we can we also just like briefly plug in the amazing sets of die you guys have like monster die now right yes <gasps> What? So, so we're not playing as monstrous characters this time around, but the whole thing with um, Shiver Gothic now is that we're introducing monstrous archetypes. So you can assemble your very own like Monster Squad or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, that that kind of thing. So you can play as your favourite like universal monsters or, or kind of hammer kind of horror movie monsters. And we've um, basically have retooled the die symbols. So the grit symbol is now like a monster's fist. Um, wit is now like a werewolf's foot. Kind of all of those. So yeah, so there'll be new monster die, which will encourage people to use um, if you decide to take on the challenge of playing as a monster. So exciting. Okay, back to the session now. Sorry for the brief respite, listeners. I got three successes and one strange. Oh, fantastic. Damn. That's a very good success. Uh, let, let's, let's hear all of your successes because there's quite a few clues little around the place. <laughs> I didn't do all that great. I got two, oh, uh, one success and two strange. I rolled zero successes, uh, but I did get a luck, so I'm going to bank that. <laughs> okay, wonderful. So let's start with Ava first. Ava, with your three successes, you focus the beam of the storm lantern and begin to kind of look around this area. So this quad is kind of quite a desolate square now and used to be kind of like a bustling area filled with students, but now it's quite overgrown, unkempt. The benches uh, that surround this statue are kind of rotten and falling to pieces and the statue at its centre being claimed mostly by moss and vines. You eventually, however, find the carriage tracks rutted deep into the soil and marking the remaining cobbles, and you track it around the back of the statue to landing in front of University Hall, but they appear to stop dead in the gravel in front of University Hall, and there's no carriage to be seen. However, as you crouch down and look more closely at the tracks, just adjacent to them, you see there appears to be some form of depression in the ground. And as you kind of sweep some of the gravel away, you see there is a thin line tracking all the way around the area where the carriage has stopped. It appears to be a hatch made of some heavy flagstones, too heavy to be moved by hand. With your three successes, however, you sweep away more and you see that there is a line, a slight kind of recess leading from this hatch back towards the statue, a hidden mechanism under the soil that appears to be linking to whatever secrets this statue may hold. So, so just to go through that, so the recess was leading towards the statue. Yes. And then where does the line stop? 
like whereabouts on the statue so, so it kind of seems to like it goes central to the statue and runs underneath it so the way to imagine it is is that as you kind of see where the carriage has stopped you swept away the gravel it's almost like there's a large rectangle carriage sized that's there that appears to be a hatch of some kind oh. you can't move it however because it is massive and made of stone but there appears to be some form of connection kind of under the soil that you found that links it to the statue so you don't see any levers or buttons to operate this hidden thing, but you have a feeling that the statue is connected in some way. Right. What was the statue of again? Ah, we've, uh, I've not described the statue. So looking at the statue um, at the centre of the court, you see it is a representation of four figures standing on a raised square dais. The first is a child, kind of in normal garb. The second is a youth clutching a large pile of books. The third is an adult, doffing a graduation cap, holding a scroll. And finally, the fourth is an elder leaning on a staff of office with a pack filled with scrolls and instruments on his back. And the statue has a plaque naming it the Academic's Journey. Looking around um, a little bit more closely, kind of with your three successes, I'll say that you see that each side has an inscription. The north side has the inscription, the mind gives back to the world. The east side has the inscription, the mind seeks knowledge. The south side has the inscription that reads, The Mind Ascends, and the west side has the inscription, The Mind Is Molded. Was that descends or ascends? Ascends, ascends. Are we all here? Well, were we just looking around? Yes, you're kind of all focusing on this. I was going to say the one thing that you notice, Leo Muller, is that there appears to be, although they're kind of being washed away with the rain now quite quickly, there does appear to be some footsteps, kind of slightly older footsteps that have gone into the lecture halls at some point. Right. So seeing that, I say everything about this place, pointing to the statues, the four statues, screams to me of some sort of puzzle set by an author, which I would know more than enough about, of course. However, I also do see that there are some footsteps leading to the lecture halls. I don't know which path would benefit us the most, but I do believe that both paths may be of some value. Are you suggesting that we split up? A logical conclusion, but no. Splitting up is a <laughs> bad writer's ploy to progress their story. Seldom a good idea, nothing more. I'm suggesting that perhaps we ought to obtain what we can from our surroundings before we delve deeper into this mystery. Right, I, I think I understand what you mean. So you wish to investigate the footsteps perhaps before we solve this puzzle of the statue and inevitably end up beneath the Earth's surface. Is that correct? Word for word, as expected. Nothing gets past your discerning eyes, Ava. Yes, exactly. Bearings before journey, as they say. Why didn't you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Muller is trying very hard to be mysterious, Katya. We must make allowances for him. Oh. I think for the first time, uh, you see Leon's face just kind of scrunch up a bit. <laughs> not amused. Miss Marble puts a gentle hand on your shoulder and says, Mr. Muller, as our, with our previous conversation, I didn't have a chance to say it, but... You could be a little bit more concise, dear. <laughs> yeah, I raise a finger to say something and then just, just defeatedly put it back down and take a very long, deep sigh. <sighs> I shall try. <laughs> All right, uh, I guess ladies first. And uh, I'm going to step towards the university hall. Excellent. So you make your way kind of across the muddy quad, kind of following the path uh, to Craddock Lecture Halls. It's once um, kind of shining plaque 
kind of naming the building now a kind of tarnished brass uh, with rust creeping in from the edges as you kind of enter the doorway uh, where you see the doors basically been ripped off the hinges you see that the lecture halls in here are connected by a series of regimented corridors and this once busy network is now dusty and quiet you see kind of from here shining your storm lantern around that four lecture halls appear to remain accessible and intact within the once prestigious structure the names of their resident academics and subjects engraved on brass plaques on each door their once gleaming surface also rendered dull through time and neglect and what are the names on the doors so as you kind of wander through the hall kind of shining your torch around you see the first one that you see is dr victoria bornstein which uh, is the name of the academic and then underneath that that reads experimental biology then you have professor kirk hartman experimental physics then you have dr igor bornstein who reads uh, egyptology and archaeology and then you have Professor Ptolemy Vale, which is esotericism, occultism, and the great unknowns is his subject of choice. Interesting. I think seeing seeing Ptolemy's name I, I and seeing esotericism sorry, esoteris is that it's a bugger, isn't and it? <laughs> occultism. <laughs> Leon immediately says, Ah, a man after my own heart. I wonder if he's still alive after all these years. Don't you think experimental biology sounds more like what we're looking for here? Y yes, yes. That surprises me, Katya. I, after all this talk of ghosts, I would have thought he would have been more interested in occultism. Oh, no, I already know a lot about that. I see. Uh, well, I guess I'll trust your expert opinion that this is more about biology then. And I'm going to lower my lamp to the ground to see if I can see where the footsteps have ended up. Ah, Smart. roll a wit check uh, with advantage for me. Yeah, one success. So with that, you see that the footsteps have faded away a little bit, but on closer inspection, you see that they appear to have frequented two of the lecture halls. That of Dr. Igor Bornstein's, the Egyptology and Archaeology professor, and that of Victoria Bornstein's, Experimental Biology. Well, it appears you are correct. Whoever was here recently did go to the Biology Lecture Hall, although also the Egyptology one. Oh, that's interesting. Do you reckon Victoria and Igor were a husband and wife, or maybe brother and sister? Hmm, probably. Or friends? Partners in crime? No. Regardless, something about the fact of Egyptology combined with biology bodes quite bad for us. I once heard a tale, supposedly as old as time, of a tall, swarthy man with a thousand faces hailing from Egypt. He was a servant of unspeakable evils and a devout purveyor of insanity and chaos. So let us hope that, well, let us hope. Maybe whoever was coming here was seeing them both because they're like a team and they were doing these experiments together. There could be. I don't think we have enough evidence either way so far. Shall we try Victoria's uh, lecture hall first? Very well. Ladies first it is. Okay. So you crack open the door to Dr. Victoria Bornstein's lecture hall and you see that it's quite empty in here apart from a scattering of few notes, a battered desk 
and a skeleton hunger for study that appears to have seen better days. <laughs> if you'd like to kind of investigate, look in the desk and stuff and have a little bit of a rummage, uh, you may. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Should we roll or...? You know, I, I think for this one, uh, no, because you're kind of just look at, looking around kind of in, in a desk and things, and that feels not like a big challenge. So I'm going to say you'll begin uh, looking around here, and I'm going to say catcher. You find a letter crumpled up to one side, kind of in the corner of one of the deeper drawers. And you see it reads, Dear Victoria, I'm so deeply sorry for your loss. Eagle was a dear friend and colleague and his passing at such an early stage of his life is a tragedy which... And then you see that the rest of the letter is kind of heavily damaged and illegible. Well, they definitely were more than friends, I think. And I'll show the letter to everyone. What makes you say that? Well... Because this person's writing to Victoria saying sorry for your loss, as if they were really close. Yes, I don't think at this point it is up for debate that Dr. Victoria Bornstein and Dr. Igor Bornstein were close. <laughs> I think that mystery has been solved, actually. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Miss Marvel? <laughs> yes, indeed, my dear. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> look, look at, looking a bit ganged up on, uh, Leon just purses his lips and says, Well, I must admit, intimate relationships are not my forte, so I know when to admit that I have been out-knowledged. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this also means that Dr. Igor Bernstein is dead, I suppose. Um, is there a date on the letter by any chance? Yes, the date on the letter is around 70 years ago. Oh, okay. I look at that and then I say, actually, they're probably both dead. I think the moment you mention from before, when you mention uh, we think Igor is dead, my eyes go wide and I'm just standing there stock still for a few minutes, I suppose, before. I mean, I don't know if anyone notices. Probably not. It's okay. Leon's, Leon's fine. It's cool. <laughs> um, do, we, do we notice? I'm going to say as the socialite that... Oh, yeah, um, nice. That I would notice this. Yeah. Are you quite all right, Mr. Muller? I... Forgive me if this is a completely insane and otherwise inappropriate consideration, but... And, and I say this having just admitted that I am not in any way an expert on intimate relationships, but do you perhaps see a connection between body parts going missing and a supposed individual who happens to be an experimental biologist whose husband, in this case I imagine, has just died? Well, this hmm. person didn't just die. You said this, I mean, this is very old letter, isn't it, Katya? Yes, it's 70 years or so. Um, what did it, uh, so there was something about the letter just suddenly stopped, right? Yeah, in terms of that, because it's been there for so long, it's the, the kind of mould and the damp has kind of like gotten to it. Mm. Um, so you've kind of got the dry top of the letter. Yeah, okay. Hearing what you said, Ava, I think I say, right. Of course, of course. The timeline slipped my mind. The kidnappings have only been happening since recently. And this happened almost a century ago, of course. Unless ghosts can do experimental biology. I have to say, I don't know about that. I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. And perhaps <laughs> we should investigate the other office. 
Yes, although, I mean, Katya's expertise has come in handy so far. I, I, at this point, I'm not so quick to dismiss your theories. Maybe that might be worth looking into a little bit later. I'm gonna have a look. Uh, is there anything else in the room that seems interesting to look at? Maybe the skeleton, or is there anything that might catch my eye? Yes, you, kind of looking at the desk, you look away from it and begin looking around, and you see kind of a, the remains of a, a waste paper basket. And as you kind of kind of rummage through there, you find a letter torn in half, kind of sitting at the bottom, with a very official stamp in its top left corner. This one reads, Dear Dr. Bornstein, the Board of Funding for the Furthering of Scientific Discovery has decided to not proceed with allocating funds to your research proposal. The nature of your request and subject of research is one that the Board finds to be unethical and has concerns which have been flagged to the current sitting Dean. And at this point, the letter has been viciously torn in half. Then you see that this letter is dated only a year after uh, the one that Katya had discovered. Ooh. Well, Katya, I think your theory might prove to be a little more relevant than we thought. I'm going to show the letter to Katya. And yours too, Mr. Muller. Somehow the prospect of ghosts and amalgamations of human flesh really does not thrill me. So you think that her research was performing on her husband's dead body, which she killed? No. I, I, I'm not quite sure where you got the part where she killed him. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought that's what we were saying. I Yes, right. That, that being said, it does seem very likely that this is all happening 70 years after his death. Well, shall we go have a look at Igor's room? Maybe there's something more there. Yes, although I do agree. It does not make sense why this is happening 70 years after. Hmm, true. Did you find anything in the desk, Leon? The last thing that you find, Leon, having a bit of a rummage, is um, you crack open kind of a drawer and find an old anatomy guide, similar to the one that you found in the abandoned stables being used by the kidnapper, but this one's a lot more advanced. And flicking through Dr. Bornstein's guide to anatomy, you find she has begun to annotate diagrams of the human body with alterations extended limbs, some looking more like schematics for something more mechanical, and her notes and diagrams get more and more erratic and sketchy as you continue through the book until they become nearly illegible to you. Kind of holding it in front of my face with the pages open so that the others can see, I say, well, one thing's for certain, we have found their lair where this all began. We are on the right track. Maybe she was trying to bring her husband back to life. I genuinely just facepalm at this. <laughs> no? No, yes, forgive me. Yes, that is what I had originally intended. Oh, well, you didn't say that. So I've been told many times today. <laughs> Child. The thing is, I understand that, that she may be wanting to bring her husband back to life, but as you say, his body would have decomposed many decades ago. It doesn't really make sense that she would be, like, how would she be doing this? And she's been taking, it, I'm assuming this is her doing, she's been taking fresh bodies, recently dead bodies, kidnapping live men. So she needs fresh bodies. If her husband is been dead so long, I don't understand how she could be doing this. I know that he was a professor of Egyptology, I mean, even mummified though, I'm not sure this would be possible. 
Perhaps, perhaps you are correct in your hunch. You see, I once heard of an infamous detective utter the line, If you have eliminated all which is impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the answer. If, and only if, Victoria could not have survived, perhaps she succeeded originally, and it is the creature that survived all these years. And now, with its body rotting again, perhaps it is looking for new body parts. Hmm. Well, I guess we should go and look in Igor's office then. Yes, let's. Alright, I'm going to lead the way out the room. going to head to the other room. Fantastic. So you wind your way uh, through the corridors to Dr. Igor Bornstein's room. And as you kind of open the door to here, you find that this is kind of half lecture hall, but also half museum. This room looks like it was once home to many artifacts which have been heavily ransacked uh, by the Divine Order. You see ancient statues lay cracked and smashed, Pyrus skulls scattered amongst the rubble, but some elements do still remain intact, however. You see a large stone sarcophagus sits stoically untouched at the back of the room, along with a bookshelf and a desk, uh, which still remain mostly intact. It is a sad day when ignorance triumphs science and archaeology. Uh, Katya's going to head straight for the sarcophagus. I'm going to avoid the sarcophagus and look everywhere else. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you, you head over to the sarcophagus and you find it. Um, it's kind of propped up at a slight angle and has a big kind of heavy lid over the top of it. There is a seam and looks like it could be cracked open, but the lid is very, very heavy. So it's going to be take quite a hard grit check to get open. Mm. But I'll tell you what, would you like to make a wit check to have a little look around the room and, and see what else you can spot? Yeah, sure. Yes. Okay, that is one success. Wonderful. You, so you see the remnants of some boxes and crates, evidently that the artefacts and some elements were shipped to the university within. Looking kind of amongst the rubble of these smashed boxes, you find underneath it a rusty crowbar, evidently used uh, to crack open the boxes. Uh-huh. You feel that this may be quite a useful tool in helping you crack open the sarcophagus. Um, so this will give you major advantage in trying to kind of open uh, this door. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'll grab the crowbar and uh, try to open the sarcophagus. <laughs> okay, so that's a crit check with a talent die. And noticing this, I'm going to go over and I'm going to put some light up so she can see what she's doing. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Um, add an extra core die for that because you're you're getting it. Add, add, add that to your grit. Go on then. You can you, you get to see <laughs> see a bit better. Oh, uh, yeah. That is two successes. Excellent. So you kind of insert the crowbar in a crevice uh, lit uh, by Ava and kind of shunt it in and begin to heave on it with almost all of your weight and the sarcophagus lid slowly begins to move and then suddenly pops with a hiss as centuries of pressure built up inside are released and a fine sand almost like powder is released into the air obscuring your vision uh, with a glittering fog of the dunes as the lid falls away to one side as the dust settles you peer into the dark of the sarcophagus and suddenly something falls towards you its jaw agape in a frozen scream and skin stretched thin you realized however it is long dead but not decayed and its body has been preserved in the stone coffin and by other processes it still clings to the resemblance of the deceased however and holds a shiny weapon a curved blade grasped tightly in its bony right hand i would like you to make a fear check however because you just got jump scared by a crusty mummy (laughs) yep How do I do that again? The fear check? Uh, you just roll strange. And Katia has the floor morbid, so I lose one skill die for all fear checks. Oh, my attention is drawn when I hear the scream, but not sure. Should I be rolling a fear check as well once I approach? 
No, I, I think the fear check will be for the shock of the lurching mummy. Um, as you've turned around and you've seen the, there's just a bit of a crispy, crispy figure. <laughs> a crispy figure. In that case, now, now, nothing to, nothing to be afraid of. This is, I'm sure you've seen or heard of mummies before. Oh, yes, it just, it seemed like it was jumping out at us. I got one success, by the way. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I got zero successes. Is that a good or a bad thing? Uh-oh. <laughs> so you'll now be afraid. As we're out of combat at the moment, what I'll say is, is that you'll have minor disadvantage on your next check. So whatever check you make next, because you're a little bit frazzled by the, the mummy's presence, it'll take a little while for you to calm your nerves. So yeah, next check will be at minor disadvantage, but then you can go back up to stable as it's not a persistent threat. Okay, great. Jesus Christ, what in the... Is it moving? Did it move just then? It's dead, Ava. It is a mummy. It just popped out like, we. it's fine. It's totally dead. Miss Marvel gets her umbrella and she um, pokes it with the tip of it and this. Yes, my dear, I imagine um, all the uh, bodily gases sealed within its tomb. Uh, once the catcher here released the pressure, it's expelled the corpse forward, unfortunately. But yes, very much dead. Oh, almost had a heart attack. Are you all right? Yes, y- yes, I'm fine. Who is this? Indeed, could I examine the body and the surrounding stuff? Yeah, yeah, roll a smarts check for me. <laughs> he seemed unsure there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, okay, so I got one success and three luck, so I'm going to convert two of those luck into a success, so two successes. Right, excellent. So looking around and kind of the scattering of notes left over by Eagle and the markings on the sarcophagus itself, as well as the weapon held in its hand, you realise that this seems to be some high-ranking priest devoted to the god Set, who is uh, mostly associated with the underworld and death in Egyptian mythology. You realise that uh, the weapon is known as a kopesh, uh, this curved blade. You see that its hilt is carved into the head of some snouted animal with dog-like features, a jackal, and you realise kind of it is a representation of the head of the god Set. Well, this does not bode well. Whoever this man was, he was likely to have been a priest, a priest of Set. An Egyptian god of chaos and the underworld, and really anything that you would consider bad. Oh god, we haven't released a curse on, onto this world by opening this coffin, have we? I guess we'll find out. Well, I'll need this then. I'm going to try and take the weapon from the guy's hand. Yeah, no, um, you, you reach out and um, with a few little tugs, you pull it away, a couple of fingers snapping off as you pull it into your grasp. Oh! You now have the Kopesh of Set. I will just send you the little description in the chat, so... Ooh. Do you think this is a real Egyptian mummy? I should think so. We are in a university. Wow. And I'll tell you what. If we were worried about releasing a curse from set onto us, we've definitely done enough damage now to release such a curse. Pointing at the broken fingers. Oh, sorry, set, but we need your knife. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Ava, kind of looking at the blade, do you realise that it's quite a well-balanced weapon, so you could either roll off grit if you wanted to, to kind of swing it 
with some hearty hardness or you could use your dueling or fencing training to use it a little bit more like a light weapon so you can roll off wit as well so having you know been drawn by the screams of the others and then soon after feeling disinterested i'm probably going to be looking around the room again resuming my search do i find anything interesting anything informative yeah your eyes are drawn as a writer yourself towards the bookshelf and you see that it's filled with a variety of books but a good chunk of them are actually written by dr Igor bornstein himself he appears to have authored a great number of books that still remain in the room and they all appear to focus on egyptian gods especially their relationship with the underworld which appears to have been a specialism of his interesting i'll convey this information to the others and then add well we're now having to be weary of monstrous creatures that are amalgamations of human beings ghosts and now a chaotic god who wants to take over the world so good on us i'm sorry but i'm just struggling to find a joke in this situation the scope of this investigation keeps getting wider wait do you think these egyptian gods are part of this body stealing thing is that possible quite possibly in terms of maybe a motivation however i would say as i said to you earlier mr muller we're still assembling all the cards on the table but i would say this let us not speculate too far into the realms of fantasy and all this talk of gods and monsters i feel is having us drift away from the facts yes of course i believe katya's probably rubbing off on me uh, my apologies that was quite unnatural of me i haven't done any rubbing on you that's very rude yes and please keep to not doing so in the future as well if if preferably <laughs> honestly mr muller do you even suggest such a thing me <laughs> are you ki- you know <laughs> Ava, if i did not know that you you were quite the joker how uncouth <laughs> not you too miss <laughs> <laughs> marble gives you a cheeky little smile she's she's razzing you you feel bye ye gods all right um is there anything else worth noting in the room yes so amy you make your way over to the desk and kind of begin kind of scanning it over and you looking inside some of the drawers you find two things so inside are one of them you see the remains of a package it is addressed as coming from London from an individual named Dr. Seavers. Inside he finds there are some unopened pill bottles as well as a letter which reads, My dear friend Igor, I regret that the blood samples you sent me have not garnered any positive results. I'm afraid that my conclusions are the condition is terminal and will claim you in around the next six months or so. I've packaged some medicines to help ease the pain in the later stages, or if things are too unbearable, will help you with your passing. I'm truly sorry, my friend, and I wish I could do more. So that's the first item that you find. The second item that you find appears to be a folder of documents, including maps, notes, and a series of travel tickets. The destination appears to be somewhere in Egypt, and the note reads, One last adventure for one last chance. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, this is very odd. There's a letter here that says that Igor's prognosis was bad. He was going to die. Of course, we know that he has. We saw that in Victoria's room. But the thing is, if he passed away, then his things shouldn't still be here. I mean, assuming he passed away a good amount of time before this place was abandoned, his belongings should have been taken away. You know, his wife should have taken them home. I don't understand why his things are still here. And all these tickets. 
to places he was going to go. Maybe he died before he got a chance to go to them, and maybe his wife couldn't bear to take his things home. Maybe. She is right, it does seem odd. What are the, what are the dates, Ava? Let's try creating a timeline. Oh, that's smart. Um, what have we got in terms of dates for travel tickets and stuff? I think there were three documents, the two that you just told us and the one from Victoria, the letter before. So do you see that the prognosis was around, roughly around um, 72 years ago? So there was about a kind of two, one year gap between uh, the letter of condolences uh, that you found in Victoria's desk and then kind of the year gap between those, you've kind of got the pills arriving from Dr. Sievers and then the travel tickets are dated a couple of months after Dr. Sievers' package had arrived and the, the travel tickets being very close to when the letter of condolences arrived, maybe by a month or two. Right. So kind of putting that all together, the story that you begin to see from having collected all of these clues is that Igor felt ill was unable to be cured. He booked some travel tickets, kind of heading towards somewhere in Egypt, with a series of kind of detailed maps and notes, but died before the trip actually took place, from what what was read from the letter of condolences. So he didn't manage to make it on the journey that he had booked. So, well, I suppose that would be why all his tickets are still here. He never managed to go. The age-old story. Death overtakes life. Yes, well... I suppose perhaps Victoria was too heartbroken to bring his things home. Maybe she didn't really want to believe that he was never coming back. Well, we do know that the great condemnation happened around 70 years ago as well. So it could No, be... that was 60 years ago. This, these things Around. Were... Yes, well, that means that these things were left here for 10 years. Miss Marble, you see, is rummaging through some things. She says, I think I may have a bit of an answer and finds another scrap of the Sparhom Scryer, the kind of city's resident newspaper. It reads here, after the sudden passing of Dr. Igor Bornstein, the lecture halls will be left in his name in memoriam for a certain period of time. So it looks like they left things as they were in memoriam and it seems to be her Victoria played quite a large part in that and they just rolled in guest lectures it, it says here though he was a very very popular lecturer so i think his death really hit the academic community whilst it still survived very very hard that does make sense i've have heard it happen on numerous occasions especially in the smaller colleges and universities so yes even though they were men of people of learning i would say they were still surprisingly superstitious Especially, um, and she nods towards the mummy, with that in check, I'm, I'm sure if we dug a little deeper, there'd possibly be some rumours of um, anyone taking on the desk or the mantle of Dr. Igor Bornstein's lecture hall probably would have a curse. These kind of things uh, breed like wildfire amongst uh, academics, especially young ones. I should expect nothing less from a university that has a department of occultism and esot that word that I can't seem to pronounce. <laughs> Looking at the floor, of course, we were following the footsteps into here. Mm. Is there any indication that the person who came in here went anywhere we haven't looked? Or where they went? No. The, the one thing that you seem to be able to tell is that the footsteps lead to, like, the high batch chair that used to be Igor's. Someone has sat in it for some time and then has left again. They don't appear to have really interacted with anything else. So we still don't really know how all of this is connected to what's happening now. No. 
Well, let's hope these footsteps don't belong to a long-dead ego who keeps going about his life sitting on his own chair. That thought aside, I believe we've completed our search here at the very least. Yes, I'm, I'm about done with this room. I would like to visit the one Dr. Ptolemy Vale's room with his studies in esotericism and occultism. I, I know we, the footsteps didn't go into there, but it does seem relevant. Hmm, that's true. Can't argue with that. All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to go into that room. You, you push the more heavily charred door open and it basically just falls off its hinges, crumbling into dust. As you see that this lecture hall appears to have been more aggressively attacked by the Divine Order compared to the others. There are the scorch marks on the flagstones of multiple bonfires that appear to have been lit and they are strategically spread throughout the space. It may be a struggle to find much of anything uh, not claimed by the conflagration. Could you all roll a smarts check for me to see if you can remember anything um, that has been said about Ptolemy Vale? Mm. I got one success. Would I be able to request an advantage for that? Because I work in a library? Absolutely, yes. Cool. Uh, zero successes and one strange for me. Okay, so we are 18 minutes past doom. Wonderful. Oh, that's five successes for me. <laughs> oh my god. You know everything there is to know. Yeah. So, Avery, you're kind of in the clicking of thinking, so what was it? And you realise that Ptolemy Vale was one of the key figures associated with why the Divine Order ransacks the university. Oh. Basically, um, Leon, you know the whole story. <laughs> Professor Ptolemy Vale was a, quite a controversial figure. He would speak quite broadly of things, kind of research from other countries, other religions, kind of myths and legends and magical practices, and kind of open them up for study, look at them. And he also became one of the Divine Order's most vocal critics being said that he actually was associated with a something similar to like a rebellion or resistance group that would basically spread information about what the divine order was doing in the city and basically promoting progress and freedom of speech within the city so ava kind of what you know is that ptolemy vale was practicing occult dark magic and the divine order ransacked the university leon you know that there are shards of truth kind of in that is that that's something they were researching but actually there is kind of speculation that actually the reasoning that the divine order ransacked it had nothing to do with what people were up to at the university. It was that vocal critics of their position in the city was emerging mm. um, from it as an institution, being very much headed up uh, by Ptolemy Vale, who you know was never caught. He disappeared. Oh. So, so no one knows exactly. Some people say that the Inquisition of the Divine Order got him. Some say that he fled uh, to London, but no, nobody's seen, seen him since. In that case, knowing all of that and seeing all this mess, I think the look on my face is one of pain and anger. I paraphrase what I know to the others through gritted teeth and just trail off at the end like... Uh, <sighs> So I'm going to say that because you got five successes, I'm going to get. I'm going to give you this as well. Looking around and knowing Ptolemy Vale's work, you notice a tiny little glyph 
that's etched on one of the stones of the wall. And looking at this, you kind of run your hand over it and feel uh, near one of the seams a breeze coming through. And placing some pressure on these glyph kind of marked stones, you eventually find a button which swings open a secret door, which you see leads to a small room with a chest and a narrow corridor, which is now long since caved in, which appears to have been Ptolemy Vale's escape route, potentially. Well, well, I... Oh, wow. How did you know that was there? Call it intuition. However, I think we've just solved a mystery that is as old as, well, 60 years, I should say. I'd like to reach for the chest and pull it out. Yeah, no, um, so you pull the chest in and you open it up and you find a couple of things in here. A pile of very kind of homemade looking printed leaflets kind of like pamphlets that will have headlines such as like the lies of the divine order mayor in league uh, with the order who truly reads the city secret histories the truth is out there it appears that Vale was a conspiracy theorist of the earliest kind but probably wasn't too far off the mark in some of the things that he was kind of positing and kind of putting forward you also find two vials of a kind of glowing reddish kind of elixir that you see um it's got a junior alchemist jennifer hewitt and you see that it's got a little note on it that says elixir of health used for minor scrapes do not mix this with alcohol ptolemy um, <laughs> um so you've got two of those um so you can add two alchemist elixirs to your infantry and they will heal three wounds a pop I am going to hand the two of those to Katya and Ava. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Better you two than me. Oh, well, very gallant. Thanks. Oh, not at all. I just, uh, it's its more likely that you will be in the front lines fighting while I'm watching. So I felt that this was oh. only natural. Okay. Oh, yes. Well, very practical then. Thank you. That, now that is a compliment. You're kind of an odd fellow, aren't you? I, I, yes, yes I am. You know, you should really come to some of the suffragette meetings. They do say that, you know, what with men fighting in the front lines, um, that that's why uh, women don't get the right to vote. But I think that you could give a really good argument for the fact that men may not be the best in the front lines. Yes, not all men want to fight. And here's our prime example. It's quite difficult to compromise with an insult and a compliment at the very same time. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, I will take you up on the top of the haps, <laughs> but first let's focus on the matter at hand, shall we? Okay. Um, is there anything of note in the leaflets other than the, you know, general conspiracy stuff? Uh, no, not, not, not anything that you can kind of see that links to what you're kind of up to and, and kind of the, the clues that you've gathered so far as well. There doesn't seem to be a correlation there. I do pocket those notes and pamphlets and things, though, I should say. Um, is there anything else um, of note in the room that would jump out at me? No, no. The rest of the room looks like they've just put gasoline down and just torched it okay well team unless you want to go into the physics room i think it might be time to go see if we can solve the the puzzle of the statue very well then i agree all right so i'm gonna head out and head back towards the statue i think before leaving uh, so as, as a bit of context i think knowing knowing this about ptolemy uh, leon would be a complete fan and i think 
the reason why he hasn't published anything recently is because he also said something not so well accepted by the Divine Order and since then he hasn't been able to get any contracts. So before leaving, he kind of takes his, his bottle of alcohol, pours some out uh, onto the doorway and just whispers, you're not alone anymore, Ptolemy, and walks out. Do you think we would see that or you would like specifically wait till no one's looking? Specifically waiting, yeah. Yeah. Just some alone time. <laughs> cool. So um, with Mr. Muller hot-footing it to catch up, uh, you find yourselves back out uh, in the howling wind and rain in front of the statue at the centre of the quad. Would you like to investigate the statue a little bit more? Yes. Yes. Cool. Um, r- roll, a, roll a smarts check for me. Oh, that is another five successes. Wow. I'm doing great for a change. Are you kidding me? I used luck as well and I still got zero successes. And one strange. One strange. Okay, up to 19. I also got zero successes. Leon. <laughs> Ava, you relay everything that you've noticed so far. That Nasatchi appears to be attached to this hatch and pointing out all the inscriptions. Leon, getting up and and kind of having a look a little bit closer at the statues, as you peer down into the recess of where they're standing on this dais, you see that the statues are actually on an intricate set of rails that would allow you to move them and orient which of the where each of the four figures is facing. And do you have a feeling that the inscriptions have a link to where potentially these people should be facing. Yeah, what were the statues again? So, the statues are of a child in kind of like normal garb. Then the second is like a youth, a teenager, clutching a large pile of books. The third is an adult doffing a graduation cap and holding a scroll. And finally, the fourth is an elder leaning on a staff, a pack filled with scrolls and instruments on their back. And the whole statue is named the Academic's Journey. I do believe, unless I am incorrect, that this puzzle is quite somewhat egotistical admittedly but very much academic they wish for us to complete the academic's journey there are four inscriptions and four statues and each statue goes against a direction representing the journey of course oh this is fun so you think that the statue is movable the parts are movable well let us I, I do believe so. Let us find out. And I try to move the child child statue to see the smallest one to see if it moves across the rail or if... Yeah, you, you can move them and rotate them um, into place to kind of like face different kind of areas, like facing out away from the centre of the statue. I, I look back at Ava and say, well, it seems like we can definitely move them. The question is, what is the journey? What are the steps? Is it seeks, moulded, ascends and gives back or some other pattern? Yes. Well, that does seem to make sense. Well, I would say the teacher gives back, right? Yes. That will be north. Yes, the elder gives back. I move the elder to north to the mind gives back to the world. Yep, and that clicks into place. The elder now facing towards the gates uh, leading back to the city. Surely the adult seeks knowledge, the youth is moulded and the child ascends? Or does somebody else ascend? I don't know where they ascend to. Perhaps the graduate ascends, because the graduate has ascended past schooling? Oh, I see. Yes. I concur with that view, yes. And so I think we move 
the adult to the minus ends south. South, yep. So you wheel them into place and click them so they are now facing uh, the south, so they're facing the university hall, or what remains of it, that is. And then what order? Is a child moulded before they seek knowledge, or do they seek knowledge and then they're moulded? I do not believe the university's principles align with moulding someone to seek knowledge rather than moulding he or she or they who seek knowledge already. So we put youth to the mind is moulded and child to the mind seek knowledge. Yes, so you grab the statue of the child and kind of orient them towards the west facing Craddock Lecture Halls and you grab the uh, youth who's holding the stack of books and wheel them over to the east so they're facing uh, the academic library and they both click into place and you feel a rumble as your, your last statue clicks into place as the cobbles vibrate underneath you and you see that area of the quad that large uh, kind of rectangular depression begins to sink down forming a large stony ramp leading beneath the surface of University Hall. The secret entrance has a warm glow and it appears somebody is home. Well, well, first try. Aren't we the perfect team? Katya is very excited. <laughs> okay, it's all go now. Wonderful. Well, shall we proceed? Uh, says Miss Marple, taking her umbrella down, seeing she's going to get out of the rain. Yes. Um, it looks like there's someone down there. Should we, should we say hello or knock or something? I do believe we should hold on to our greetings and formalities until after we have determined the identity of that who awaits for us. Yes, who has what weapons? I've got, I've got a rifle, I've got a sword, and I've got the dagger from the mummy. Is everybody armed? Wow, you have a lot of weapons. You seem very well prepared for the front lines. Yes, I knew what we were coming to. Did you not get anything? I pull out the makeshift, like... Spike thing <laughs> with like oil smelled and random spikes. I made something. All right, that will do. Katya, do you have anything? Oh, yes. I have this pitchfork and I sort of swivel it around so that I'm holding it. Good pitchfork, good. Uh, Miss Marvel? Oh, um, I'll, I'll be uh, quite all right, my dear, with just this. She kind of dresses you with her umbrella. All right. Everybody, have your weapons at the ready. Uh, as Mr. Muller said, we don't know who is down there, so. Let's proceed with caution and just be careful. Yes, and remember all that we've learned. And at this point, he turns to Miss Marble and says, and remember all that we talked of. Yes, Mr. Muller, of course. Why did you say it like that in that weird way? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Are you having private conversations with Miss Marble that you don't care to share with the class? This is quite obvious obviously not what is going on and i believe we have more important things to deal with right sorry yes uh, all right whatever leaving your weird asides that you've had quite aside uh let's proceed fantastic so ava kaminsky looking like a victorian apocalypse prepper with about three or four different weapons uh, strapped to her kind of belt and back you dim your storm lantern as you begin uh, leading the rest of the group down the stony ramp and into the underground tunnel below. So, 
you all find yourselves winding your way through this underground road, this tunnel eventually getting brighter and wider as you emerge to the edge of a cavern lit by a cold light. You see generated by various lamps connected by a kind of thick black wires all along the walls. This is something you've not really ever seen before, like all the kind of lights and lamps you'd use in the city are all either kind of gas or candles um, and have a warm orange glow. To see something that gives off a kind of cold ethereal light to you is, is quite creepy. You see that this space is a kind of large and domed and is filled with tables stacked with various pieces of scientific equipment that are bubbling away, all attended by the same strange creatures that you saw underneath the coat that all look like they've been constructed from various body parts and stitched together and they are shrouded in dark hand-stitched leathers of scraps of old academic gowns. You see, uh, kind of looking further into the room, that the centre of it is dominated by a large round platform where a kind of giant surgeon's table is in the middle, articulated so it can stand nearly upright, and attached to it is a massive figure, covered head to toe in a variety of medical bandages and strapped to the table, uh, kind of with thick leather straps and braces. You see the eyes are closed, as if sleeping. You see, however, working away nearby is a large misshapen figure, covered partially in a ragged cloak. You see that the back of her head um, is a nest of matted black hair and cables, metal and wires running off and plugging into the different parts of her body. You see that her left leg having been replaced with a large heavy mechanical one, her right eye seeming to grow a bright green from this distance, and you see that one of her hands is now a large metallic claw. It's very hard to see where the machine begins and the person ends. And as you see, she is working away kind of feverishly to get things finished. She needs something on the other side of the platform. She reaches out with her metal claw. It shoots out, attached on kind of an articulated chain, grabs something and retracts and pulls back to her hand and she puts it down and continues working. As you begin looking around at this scene, you hear echoing across the room. You see a little figure that has a huge mouth and no eyes or nose, sitting in front of um, something that looks very much like the thing in front of me, a microphone of some sort, and it kind of goes... Um, Stormfall, ten minutes and counting. Ten minutes and counting. And it echoes around the space. Evidently, they're working towards something and there is a countdown in place, which is why everyone is rushing around. Victoria. How did Victoria survive all these years? What is she planning? And will the gang be able to rescue Algernon Tipple before it occurs? Find out on the next episode of Don't Forget Your Towel. If you like what you hear, please connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at DFYT underscore podcast, on Facebook at Don't Forget Your Towel Podcast, and through email at dfytpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a few dollars to spare and you've been liking what you hear, please consider donating to us on Patreon. But if you don't have a few dollars to spare, that's all good too. Just keep listening and like or review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Every single rating goes a long way to helping us increase our reach and to share the RPG love. We would also like to thank our patrons. Benjamin Tay, Adrian, Jesse Wesson, Bonnie Cohen, 
Thank you all for your support. We could not do it without you. Till next time, keep your towels at the ready. Bye.